You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Jacob Rudner. A special episode of the podcast today. We've had a lot of breaking news. In fact, it seems like whenever we shoot an episode of the Swamp 24-7 podcast, you can pretty much bank on as soon as we post it up to YouTube and, and the audio platforms, within like two hours, there's going to be some major breaking news. So, Jacob, two major news items yesterday. Florida has now hired its new head basketball coach. They have hired Todd Golden out of San Francisco, and we'll get to him in just a second. The other bit of news, Emory Jones, after going out there for the first two practices of the spring, has officially entered the NCAA transfer portal, or at least informed the coaches that he plans to. They've both put out statements at this point, uh, confirming that, both Emory and the program. So those are the two news items we're going to tackle today. Let's start with the basketball hire, Jacob. Obviously, Florida had to fill Mike White's shoes after he left for Georgia. I'll be quite honest with you, I don't know a ton about Todd Golden. I know he's from the West Coast. You're more of a West Coast guy, so maybe you can give uh, people kind of a brief overview of, of what Florida's getting. Yeah, young coach, up-and-comer, 36 years old. I, I have always been impressed with Golden just because of his ability to turn around a program like San Francisco and really make them a, a nationally relevant program. They finished the season ranked 22nd overall in Ken Palm, and granted, that's going to change as the NCAA tournament continues to go on here. But you know, they had a great year, and you look at their numbers statistically, and it backs that up. Adjusted offensive efficiency, they finished the season ranked 42nd. And again, this will change. We're recording this on Saturday, March 19th. So depending on when you listen to this, these numbers might be marginally different. Uh, And in adjusted defensive deficiency, 23rd overall. So great year, uh, balanced team that he was able to run, uh, 10-9 and against Ken Palm top 100 teams. And this is a guy who really leans heavily on the analytical side of coaching. He seems to play situations by the numbers. He has a great understanding for things like that. And like I said on our message board, Thomas, I think that that is a really important quality for coaches nowadays. I think that if you are a college basketball coach and you don't embrace analytics, that's quite regressive. I think that if it's a resource, you might as well use it. And it seems as though Golden does a really good job of that. And the other thing is, is that he clearly knows how to put a product out on the court with players who aren't superstars. I mean, San Francisco is not bringing in top ranked college basketball recruits and still the product was was up to par, if not exceeding expectations. So I think that this is a really strong young hire. Um, I would be remiss to not bring up the fact that there are absolutely question marks with regard to this. Uh, this is a guy who has been a head coach since 2019. He's been coaching in general only since 2012. So the longevity is certainly not there at all. Uh, he has never led an SEC program as a part of that. Uh, he's been a part of one, Auburn, mm-hmm. for, for three seasons. But again, it leaves you to wonder is somebody whose experience is exclusively at a program like San Francisco on the West Coast ready to come out to a place like Gainesville and immediately step into a culture where winning is expected? Yeah, I think that's going to be the big question. I think this is definitely a high risk, high reward, potential hire. In some ways, it's almost the Billy Donovan blueprint, right? Where you have a guy that um, has had some success, but it's at a smaller level. You know, Billy Donovan had the two years at Marshall before he was hired at Florida. I made the comment yesterday, just, just kind of struck me as, 
I guess surprising a little bit that the two coaches that Florida has had post Billy Donovan, um, knowing that the program won two national titles under Billy Donovan, really became a national player on the college basketball scene. It's a little surprising to me that both of the two coaches Florida has hired since have not won an NCAA tournament game. Now, for Golden, they, they obviously got there this year. He had a program that got there in a pretty tough West Coast conference, so very impressive, as you said, in pointing out you know some of his resume. Uh, I just thought that was interesting like because I think the certainly the perception with a lot of Florida fans is that the program after the Billy Donovan tenure is, is sort of elevated at this place where, like you said, winning is expected. Um, and I think maybe there was a sense from a lot of people that Florida could just go out there and get the top name, like the top big name kind of guy. Um, I don't know that that's the route that they went. And to your point, we were talking about this a little bit out at football practice today. Analytics is a big part of, I think, what Scott Strickland, the athletics director, embraces. And that's that's something that obviously he really liked about Billy Napier with the football hire, was that Billy Napier is very into analytics. And I don't think Dan Mullen and his staff were. Uh, now you get that on the basketball side of things. I think, to your point, Jacob, maybe we can break down a little bit what we mean by analytics, um, because my impression of what Todd Golden sort of uses them for is situational basketball, right? Like, so what do we do in this situation where there's three minutes left on the clock? Uh, yeah. You know, we're up six or, you know, we've got 30 seconds left. We're up two. Do we foul? Um, that kind of thing. That that seems to be my understanding based on, again, I, I'm not super familiar with Todd Golden, but but in listening to national college basketball reporters and, and guys that have been around him, it seems like it's sort of data-driven process to me. Yeah, that that's a pretty good way to describe it. And I don't know that I'm going to necessarily do much better. I, I will add that I think that the way that Golden goes about things is outcome-based. So how does this decision in this moment in the game affect the potential outcome? What's the win percentage if I go this route versus this route? Do I foul with 30 seconds left in the first half? with the opponent in the one and one, or do I not foul with the opponent in the one and one with 30 seconds left in the first half? And the score has a lot of you know, sway in what's going to happen in those situations. Um, I think that he is the kind of coach who's going to evaluate things numerically, but he also has the eye for what's happening on the court. And it doesn't always come down to the analytics and that's important. Um, I will say though, that when it comes to a coach who's going to rely on analytics the way that he does, it's very situationally based, like you said, where you're deciding on, do I foul? Do I not? Uh, is this a two-point opportunity that I'm drawing up a play for? Or is it a three-point opportunity? What's the risk? What's the reward? I think that there are some people who hear that and they get turned off by it because it's one of those things where you hear it and you go, you're a computer and right, we right. can hire anybody to do what you're going to do. The old money ball you, question. Exactly. Like, it, it, do we need... Todd Golden to be able to come in here and do what a computer tells him he needs to do. And I would say that there is value in that. And there are certain people who understand it better and are able to use it better. But more than that, I think it comes down to communication. And I, from the press conferences that I've seen of Todd Golden, I believe that he has a real gift for his ability to convey things in a way that's absorbable and consumable. And I think that that doesn't only apply to media, but it does actually also apply to players. Are you able to take what you're seeing on a screen and translate that into basketball? Are, are guys who come into your program able to understand that? And that's what I think is the difference between some guy you pull off the street who can read the numbers and, and tell a team what to do versus somebody who really understands those at a deep level and is able to convey them at the same strength. Yeah, I think that's a good point because, you know, Mike White, I think, was very efficiency focused. Um, 
not so much the the situational. I, and I could be wrong on this, but my impression was that Mike White was very focused on offensive and defensive efficiency and studied those numbers a lot, the Ken Palm type numbers. Um, I don't know if he incorporated so much of the situational, you know, by the numbers approach. Um, but your point about being able to explain it in a digestible way to your players being important. I think that was one of the things that was missing under Mike White. And I think when you sit down with him, I I talked about this on a previous episode of the podcast, when Mike White was first hired, he brought in the media behind closed doors and kind of basically ran us through sort of a film session that he would have with his guys and all the things he's looking at, the X's and O's, here's here's where we wanted you on this this set play. And, And he kind of walked us through all that and it was very clear that Mike White knew X's and O's. He knew the counter to different, you know, uh, schemes, different looks, and could do all that. But I thought it got lost in translation sometimes to his players in the sense of, like you said, it just didn't necessarily connect on the why all the time is, is the impression that I got. And that led to some of the inconsistency. So if Florida can have a guy that can do that, I think that's very important. I think the other thing, moving forward a little bit towards... um I guess what Florida needed in this hire, I kind of was talking about this at the basketball game with someone the other day. I thought Florida had, there were sort of two options that they had to take with this hire. One, they had to go either young up and comer and try to catch lightning in the bottle again, or they had to kind of hire a proven name, pull a proven name from somewhere else. And that was always going to be the harder play. You know, can you pull a Scott Drew or something like that? Those were to me the, the, the right approaches to take with this hire. I didn't think a retread like, like an Anthony Grant was a good idea because we just saw what a coach with a, you know, a decently high floor can do. And the question was, you know, obviously that floor is not good enough for Florida. I mean, the fans were not okay with simply making it to the tournament. So they really needed either the big name or the lightning in a bottle. I think time will tell Jacob whether or not Todd Golden is lightning in the bottle, but I'll open the floor to you. If if you have any finishing thoughts on this before we shift over to Emory Jones and the football program. Yeah, I think I I really like what you said, because I do agree that there were two options. And I would add to that, that in my opinion, it's early. And it really is just my opinion. I I think Florida went the right direction. And the reason for that is because I think if you go with somebody proven, you're bringing somebody in who's going to try and and, and maintain what they had somewhere else. And that might not work in a place like Gainesville. Whereas if you're bringing in a guy like Todd Golden, who has never experienced the big program culture, who has coached only as a head coach at a school like San Francisco, he needs to recreate a lot of things now. And granted, that's a tall task. And that puts a lot of pressure on a guy who's 36 years old, fairly inexperienced as far as coaching goes, newer to the industry. It's a lot of pressure, but I also think it opens the door to a lot more innovation. It opens the door for a lot more creativity, for change. And I think that that's what Florida needed. I don't think Florida needed somebody to come in an attempt to do something that worked at some degree somewhere else. And and by the way, keep in mind, the chances of Florida bringing in a coach from another place who was uber successful at a high caliber program, probably not super high. You're looking at somebody who achieved at a mediocre level at a huge program or did really well at a decently sized program. Right. Or like you said, you're bringing in the lightning in the bottle guy who has to kind of reinvent the wheel in terms of what he's going to be able to do to make Florida work. And I think that Florida got the right guy in order to achieve the blueprint from that perspective. And I like that. Yeah, I think Florida Florida basketball is a very, very good program. I don't know that it's an elite program in the same way that the football program is, right? Like Florida football is, to me, in that 
that next tier up. I, I don't know that basketball is there. I think it can be a fantastic job. Obviously, you'll have a lot of resources here. There's history behind you. Um, recruiting, I think, is going to be really, really important. I mean, if you're going to have success at Florida, you have to recruit well. Mike White sort of did by the numbers, but again, I always I go back to it felt more like a best player available approach than necessarily building towards a set identity. And I thought sure. that was part of the issue. But, you know, I, I think at this point, you know, that is the higher. I think you, you got to be patient. This is not, you know, basketball. You're not going to win every game. Um, so let's see how he does in terms of piecing together a roster uh, via the transfer portal, via recruiting. There's going to be a lot to watch unfold. I do, I do like the approach of going with a young guy that's very analytics driven. Um, I, you know, as far as type of basketball, I love that his philosophy seems to mirror the Bruce Pearl system. Uh, a lot of pace, a lot of three point shooting, defending the three point line. I think are, are big priorities for Todd Golden team. So it's going to be fun to watch unfold. But let's take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back on the other side, breaking down Emory Jones's decision to transfer right after this eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Jacob Rudner. Jacob, we were just talking about this yesterday on the podcast about the quarterback position, and uh, I think you made the point that you know the the best version of competition for Anthony Richardson was to have a guy that could push him like an Emory Jones. Walk walk me through the thought process now that Emory's gone, because there are, in my opinion, there's some benefits both ways. Yeah, I I, I will I will start by saying that I'm not going to walk back my comments from yesterday. I still do stand by the fact that it is important and was important for a young guy like Anthony Richardson to have an older quarterback in the room like Emory Jones, who was able to not only be a mentor and a friend and whatever the case may be off the field, but to be 
a competition person on the field. And I think that that was important. I don't think that that point goes away. However, I do still see benefit to the developments that have happened at Florida in the last 24 hours in their quarterback room. And that is this for a new coaching staff to be able to now spend 90% of spring ball focusing on the guy who is more than likely going to be the starting quarterback in the fall, Anthony Richardson, there is benefit to that. You have an entirely new offense. You have a new head coach. You have a new offensive coordinator. And now rather than trying to figure out who's going to be under center on day one, you pretty much know who your guy is going to be. It's, it's 99% going to be Anthony Richardson. I think it would surprise everybody if it isn't. Yep. And now they actually get to devote their attention to him. So did I see value in competition with Emory Jones in the fold? Totally. And I'm not taking that away. And I think that that is a potential negative now that he is no longer a part of the picture. However, is there still upside to this? I think absolutely. I think it clears up the picture much earlier. Had this happened later in camp, I think it would have actually been a disservice. And right now, I think it's totally salvageable. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is you're not sort of wasting reps. And, I, you know, if Emory was around in the fall, they wouldn't be wasted reps. But look, I'll be honest with you. I, I would have put a 90% chance of Emory leaving after the spring. I think talking to people around the program, it was very much a case of, uh, he had really kind of hoped to be able to graduate in December and make that move. And I think the the hiccup in not being able to graduate then and having to graduate in the spring, now you got to worry about whether or not, you know, your your credits, which credits are going to transfer over to whichever new school you go to. And look, there's a lot of hoops that you have to jump through with that. And so by going through the spring and then transferring, that whole process is a lot smoother. So I'm a little bit surprised that he kind of was out there for the spring. I, you know, it was I don't know if Billy Napier was trying to do him a solid and, you know, speak highly of him, you know, kind of give him the chance to go through spring. I mean, it, it may be as simple as, you know, they really did think Emory could help them. And Emory was just at a point mentally where, you know, for whatever reason, he was ready to he was ready to go. I mean, he told us he was he had one foot out the door uh, this winter and ultimately ended up sticking around. But so however that unfolded, I'm not sure. But I do think it's a benefit. Like you said, the reps is is a big deal. And then I think. You know, as much as Florida went back and forth between the quarterbacks last year, publicly, they did a pretty good job of of supporting each other, Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones. Not sure that all the players necessarily had that same attitude. And it, and it did create some issues within the locker room. I don't think that those issues would have continued with a new coach, but now you don't have to worry about it. And so right. I, I think we're both in full agreement. Anthony Richardson will end up being the starting quarterback, barring injury. I think maturity is a big deal for him going forward. He needs to continue to mature in ways of simply keeping himself healthy, right? Like this is not a guy that can now afford to be dancing in the hotel room, you know, the night before a South Carolina game and get hurt and end up on the injury list. Those are the little things he's going to have to figure out. Jacob, I want to ask you an interesting question because Florida does still have for the fall with Emory Jones gone. They still got five scholarship quarterbacks that are going to be on the roster. Uh, One of them we haven't seen yet. That's the signee Max Brown who will be here in the summer. Before I ask you if Florida should take a transfer quarterback, because I think experience, there's that part of me where I look at those five guys, or at least right now, the four guys we're seeing in the spring, and I'm like, I don't know, man. Right. Uh, Where are you at with what we've seen, I guess, so far from the four quarterbacks in the spring? I know it's been limited viewing windows. And then is there any merit to the idea of taking maybe a guy that's comfortable coming in, has a little bit more veteran experience, but maybe coming in knowing he may be a backup. Like, would you even go that route at all? 
you know, again, I'm going to reiterate something we said on our last podcast, and I don't mean to belabor this, but I really do think it's early to fully understand the quarterback picture and who is where in terms of readiness to be able to play. That being said, you know, I said it on, on our last episode, and I'll say it again now, it hasn't been a terribly impressive spring so far in the limited window that we've been able to see, which is a collective total of about 40 minutes of practice. And we both did and think it, it was better today. No, so I, that, that was what I was going to say. I was going to say that I was not terribly impressed, but I thought that today, Saturday, was easily the best day of, of spring ball for that group until they started throwing deep passes. Then it was really ugly. And I think that uh, there was not only frustration from some of the coaches audibly, but the players knew it too. Jack Miller, for example, the sophomore who transferred from Ohio State, he was shaking his head after he was throwing the ball. I mean, he was visibly upset. At, by the way, that he was he was practicing today on Saturday. So I think that there is an early cause for a minimal amount of concern with this unit just because it hasn't been overwhelmingly positive yet. But again, A, we've only seen three practices, and B, we've only seen a fraction of three practices. So what are these guys looking like as practice gets deeper when they're a little bit more warmed up? Was today a really good day for them, even more so than what we saw during the 15 minute window that we had, it's right. entirely possible. I, I will say this. I, if I'm Billy Napier and Rob sale, I feel okay. Not great. I feel okay about testing Jack Miller as a quality backup option. He came from Ohio state. He kind of served in a reserve role there, got very limited playing time over two years. Uh, but they're familiar with him. Both of those guys recruited Jack Miller when he was at Chaparral High School in Scottsdale, Arizona. Billy Napier was the offensive coordinator at Arizona State that year, 2017. And Rob Sale was the Sun Devils offensive line coach. So they know this guy. Um, do I think that Jack Miller is ready to start? No. Uh, if, if anything, that's simply based on the three days that we've seen him. But I do think that he probably could serve as a serviceable backup. And I don't know if I'm Billy Napier or Rob Sale that I'm devoting a ton of time to finding another quarterback, knowing that I'm going to have five scholarship guys yeah. in the room. Yeah, I know. I, I kind of sprung that question on you. And, I, and the more I'm thinking about it, I don't think it makes any sense either. Um, I just, that room is so, to me, it's uninspiring right now, I guess is the best way to say it. And and knowing that Anthony Richardson, if healthy and if developed, can be a Heisman level guy. Like I, I'm fully on board with that. So it's not, it's not necessarily lacking you know, that top end potential. I just get really worried about what happens if Anthony Richardson gets hurt. And uh, like you said, it, I think it is very early. Jack Miller, I thought looked much, much better today throwing some of the shorter routes. Like you said, the deep balls are an issue for everybody right now. Um, I do think it's more of the timing routes that, that a lot of the quarterbacks are struggling with. The out routes have looked pretty, pretty rough so far. And uh, you know, some of those higher degree of difficulty throws we're not really seeing happen right now. I, sure. I think scholarship wise, I don't think, I think you're right. I think Florida can't really afford to spend another scholarship on a quarterback. I mean, they, they need help elsewhere. I think receivers, another spot they could they could add a guy. Anything else we need to cover today? I, I really kind of want to keep it to just those two topics since we did just shoot a show yesterday. Anything? Yeah, I think here? we're I, I think we're good. I, I will just very briefly throw in that you know for anybody who does hear what we're saying about the quarterback room at Florida and they get worried about it, I, I would say that the biggest thing that's been off so far, like you just said, Thomas, has been timing routes, and that at least to a degree is expected this early in spring. Sure. You're not you're not looking for guys to be perfectly synced up, you know, quarterback to pass catcher. 
this early. I think that that's something that's going to come with time. I do think that there is an early cause for maybe we should keep an eye on this level of not looking so good so far. Is it a concern though? I don't know that I'd call it that yet. It's something that needs to be watched closely and, and we're obviously going to do that. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Swamp 24-7 podcast. We have a lot of things coming down the pipeline on the website at swamp247.com. I'll be putting out some very preliminary projected depth charts based on sort of how the reps are going in spring football. So be sure to check that out. I know Jacob has a couple stories he's got lined up in the queue. So we are uh, excited to bring you guys more spring football coverage. We will shoot again in the next couple days, breaking down some more of our thoughts. But we wanted to get to you since, you know, we shot right before all the news happened yesterday. We wanted to get back with a quick reactions piece, talking a little bit of Todd Golden and the Emory Jones decision. So thank you guys for tuning in. That'll do it for today's episode of the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. hero arrives i am ready is there anyone stronger no tougher no funnier i do not make jokes i make warriors knuckles now streaming only on paramount plus yes